Sweet, I love you move so fast when you meet someone and give them all you have. They don't ask, but you jump in anyway. Welcome back to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. I really do love hearing from listeners of this show, and I have a cool story coming up about something that took place recently relative to a new method of contact that I have been talking about on the show lately. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Miami, my guest is a singer-songwriter who just released a new single less than two weeks ago and has an EP coming out in May. Just over four months ago, she released a single whose music video premiered on CMT and features a notable collaborator. Already in her young career, she has performed at notable venues such as the Hotel Cafe in Los Angeles, The Bitter End in New York City, and she has done shows in Nashville, where she spends her time when not in Southeast Florida. In addition, she performed at an event in Europe that we will hear about today, and she will be touring this summer. And as a songwriter, she has already had cuts with other artists. You've been hearing a song of hers called Ending of a First Love? Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Aaliyah Good. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, yes. Thank you, Aaliyah. I've got a list of questions for you here. But before I start into all those, tell us first about the song of yours that was just playing called Ending of a First Love. Yeah, so that was my debut single. Um, I wrote that one 100% by myself. So it's one of my favorite songs that I've ever uh, written, and I'm super excited that it's finally out in the world. And, you know, we tracked it at Soundstage with a live band, so it was a really fun process of creating that song. And there's actually a, a making of the song video out now, too, as well, See the behind-the-scenes kind of process. But, yeah, um, it's kind of just about, you know, going through your first heartbreak. I know that's such a universal experience that everyone goes through. You know, everyone has that first love that's so important in their lives, and then, you know, it's devastating when it ends. And it's just um, it's something that I went through, and it's a very personal song to me. So I'm I'm really happy that it's out. I know that you just said it's something that you went through. And later on in this episode, we're going to talk about some of the people that you've worked with. But I'm curious when you say that you wrote it by yourself, is it because it was so personal or was it it just came to me really quickly? Talk about doing it alone versus I have an idea for a song. I should see who to write this with. Yeah, so a lot of my songs, you know, every single song that I write, I start 100% by myself. I don't like doesn't matter what, if the song is eventually taken to a co-write, it, it always comes from me originally. And so with that one, I just wrote it so quickly, literally the day that I started it. I think I wrote it in about 20 to 30 minutes. Mm. It's literally the fastest song that I've ever written. Wow. And it just it felt more um it just felt really natural. And obviously I think that, you know, songwriting comes from a higher place, like a higher power. I think it's you know, God working through me when I when I make music. And so it was just one of those songs that miraculously happened really quickly. And that's why I chose to write it by myself. It really wasn't just because it's such a personal song for me, but also just because 
the process of making it. It just it just happened so quickly. Yeah, and I have to imagine that, as the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. When you write it so quickly and it does come from someplace else that you feel this song was really put upon me, you look at it and you say, why would I all of a sudden take this to somebody else? It's perfectly fine to me as it is. Yeah, exactly. That's truly like, yeah, that's how I felt about the song. And it just felt like, you know, I didn't I didn't feel like I needed to go back and edit it. It was super personal and super real for me. So I just, you know, it just the finished product worked. So there's something that you said a minute or two ago that I want to go back to, which was before I take it to a co-write. So I wonder when you write a song that you decide or maybe you don't have the whole thing done and you say, I want to take this to a co-write. There's certainly no shortage of people that you can go to. So how do you decide who your first call is going to go to to say, hey, I got a song that I'd like to work on with you? Honestly, it's just it just depends, again, with like the song um, at that time. I think a lot of my songs do come from like a 100% solo place and a lot of them are solo written. And then as far as taking ideas to other co-writers, I have like I've spent years now co-writing in Nashville. I think I started writing um, professionally with co-writers when I was like 12 years old. Mm. And so, um, yeah, so a lot of those sessions, I would kind of just go in and I would play whatever idea I had most recently been working on with the co-writers. And so a lot of my songs, like, it's not so much of like which ideas should go to who, and it's more of like which session am I in, and I'll just play, you know, my most recent idea. Uh, and now I've really just because I've spent so much time co-writing in Nashville, I have that like small circle of of like really positive and strong co-writers in my life, and I I know which ones like which ideas work best for. And so it really just depends like on the song and and on the the particular day, you know. Okay, okay, I like it. I like it. Tell us about the video for Ending of a First Love, which I mentioned in the intro premiered on CMT. Yeah, so I'm super excited about the video. Um, my first That's the first music video, obviously, that I've ever made to go along with, you know, the debut single. And um, it, was, it was a really awesome process. Uh, kind of my idea initially for the video was to see, I wanted to do a video where we saw, from my point of view, the kind of roller coaster that is, your first relationship and you kind of see the ups and the downs and you know the the ending of the first love which is like you know what the song's about so that's what I really wanted with the video and we just happened to be shooting the the artwork for the singles and the EP that day and decided you know what why don't we just film the video we mm. kind of decided really quickly like I think maybe a week before the shoot or just something it was really close to the day of the shoot and um I was just like you know what let's go ahead and film the video and I got my friend Timothy to play the love interest in the video. He's been a longtime friend of mine, and I I really believe in keeping the circle small when it comes to to working on my art. And so I really wanted to have like a personal connection, be the love interest rather than just some actor, you know, that we could hire. Mm. So it was really awesome to have him there. And where was that made, the video, and how long did it take? Was it just all in one day or over the course of a couple days? It was filmed in East Nashville, um, and it was filmed all in one day. It was a very long day, but we did we did film all the footage in one day. And share with the audience who I was referring to when I said that there was a notable collaborator. So Timothy is actually Tim McGraw's nephew. So yeah, kind of a fun fact about the you know musical connection there. But when you said it would be easier to use somebody that you already know instead of hiring an actor. 
you said that you kind of spontaneously decided let's just do a a music video while we're here getting pictures. Mm -hmm. So was that he was already there or you thought of it the day before or you called him in that moment? How did that come in terms of the timing to involve him? Yeah, so when we decided to to shoot the video about a week before we were actually on set, I just kind of, I reached out to Timothy and asked him if he would be interested. And he was interested, luckily. And he just was super, um, you know, enthusiastic about being in the video. And, and yeah, it was great. I was recently in San Francisco speaking at a conference even though I was there telling people about what I do as a publicist, a lot of them wanted to ask me questions about podcasting. So many folks are wanting to start a podcast these days. Invariably, they will ask, what kind of equipment do I need? And is it expensive? Certainly, I recommend the Vocaster, which is made by Focusrite. In fact, it can be used for podcasting, for spoken word, for live streaming, for voiceover work. I'm about to head out this weekend to Las Vegas, and I do have an interview lined up there for this show. That's going to be possible because of the Vocaster. It's small enough that I can just throw it in my backpack. I will have my laptop with me for obvious reasons, and so the Vocaster will just USB into my laptop. And since I have the Vocaster 2, that means there's an input for a second mic for the guest. We can each have our own headphones. Take a look at the different options, though, for what you need or don't need, meaning maybe you just need the Vocaster 1 if you're just recording your own voice. Conversely, maybe you need everything, and so you get the studio bundle, which comes with headphones and a microphone. Go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and tap or click on the ad for the Vocaster, which says, Tell the World, and go over to Focusrite's website to check it out. That ad, by the way, is in the right-hand column if you're looking at NHTE on desktop, or if you are on mobile, scroll way down past the social media logos on NHTE.net to see that ad. Either way, you will be on your way to delivering professional quality audio to your audience. Aaliyah, we just a couple weeks ago passed the nine-year anniversary of this show And I think even 472 episodes in that we have a first today with you. In May of last year, on episode 432 of this show, my guest was platinum-selling singer-songwriter, four-time Grammy nominee, and ACM and Billboard Awards winner Jamie O'Neill, who just happens to be your mom. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So congratulations, because I'm pretty certain that this marks the first time that I've had a guest on one episode, and then at some other point in time, one of their children as a guest. But share with us about having a family full of singer-songwriters and musicians and growing up singing on the road with your folks and how your parents have influenced your music. Yeah. um, Yeah, it's been it's been definitely one of my biggest blessings in my life, I think, is is getting to have that family connection and have a family that's in the field that I want to go into, especially it being this industry. You know, it's such a hard industry to break into. So being able to have, you know, my family be involved in it has been, you know, such a wonderful gift for me. But my mom started bringing me up on stage when I was literally three years old. I grew up touring with my family. And it's like such a wild thing always to talk about because people are like, you know, it is kind of shocking. Like it's not, it's not a very common childhood or upbringing or experience, but I did, you know, grow up on the road. And so I've kind of always known that I wanted to do this. Mm. And my parents have been big influences on my music and my art. You know, they're very involved in my career and I really like having them be involved in my career. I know a lot of people like 
kids of, of musicians don't always want their parents' input, but I trust both of their visions. And yeah, I really appreciate all the help that they've that they've given me and the fact that they're super involved. And as much as I just hyped up your mom and talked about her having been on this show and some of the accolades that she's achieved, just tell the audience a little bit about your father. Yeah, so my dad's a studio engineer, and he um, he worked at a really big Nashville recording studio called Eleven Eleven Sound back in um, back in his college and and like post college days. And he's still very heavily involved in the music industry. He's a producer and songwriter, and he just recently actually did a duet with my mom on her most recent album, which was one of his, I guess, first releases as like a solo artist. So it was it was pretty cool. That's so much fun, and everybody has different childhood memories, and you just happen to have childhood memories that are largely, if not the majority of which, are based around music. And so, like you said, when people question that type of upbringing, it sounds like they're nothing but happy memories for you because you probably also got to travel quite a bit, too. Yeah, definitely. It. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of my childhood traveling, which was really awesome. Because if you think of someone that might say, well, you missed out on uh, Girl Scouts or you missed out on softball or you missed out on summer camp or whatever, I think that there's probably lots of people that would say, are you kidding? I'd love to switch places with her because of so many unique opportunities that you got that other young girls don't get. Definitely. Yeah, I think I think it's it's great because I also got to have that balance. Like my parents still wanted me to experience a lot of the normal childhood things. So I did get to go to like a normal preschool, a normal elementary school and things like that. But I also just got to, to miss a lot of school to travel and be with my family. So I kind of got, you know, the best of both, both situations. Yeah. And not to mention the education that you got in the music business that somebody who's 10 years old wouldn't normally get, someone who's 12 years old wouldn't normally get, and so on. So really, as much as it's happy memories, you also had a tremendous learning experience. Definitely. Thanks to everything that you were exposed to. Definitely, yeah. I definitely learned a lot growing up. And I think it's it's been really great because I, I got to see kind of what I was getting into by being a musician and wanting to go into this industry. I think a lot of young girls, when they don't have families that work in the industry, they don't realize what they're getting themselves into. So in that way, like I'm, I'm super lucky that I've gotten to like see what it takes and like how hard it can be. Yeah, I'm glad you said that last part because I did wonder, did your parents try to shield you from some of the negative sides of the business or was it if we're going to bring Aaliyah with us, she needs to learn and see everything, even the bad parts? I really, yeah, that's interesting. I don't think they ever really tried to shield me from any aspect of the industry. I think, you know, they wanted me to be safe and everything and and not be exposed to things like at too, too young of an age, but there's a lot of a lot of heavier things that come with being a a female in the industry, especially as, you know, in terms of like having that certain appearance and that look and that, and how hard like record labels and people like that can be on women. So Mm. I think that's something also that my mom could have shielded me from, but rather she kind of like, you know, taught me a lot and like, uh, and how to get through it and how to get through a lot of the, the harder stuff that comes with being in the industry. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what valuable lessons for sure. Tell the audience who slash what 
the song suffragettes are and how long you've been a member of them, meaning since what age? Yeah, so the Songs of Jets are a female collective of um, singer-songwriters in Nashville, mostly country artists, but I think they've kind of started to open up to more pop artists as well. But it's all females, and, you know, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a difficult process to join the Songs of Jets, but um, they are all about, like, female empowerment, and they play weekly shows at the, the Listening Room, which is an iconic venue in Nashville. And I kind of, I think I started, I started playing shows with them when I was 14, but I, I auditioned for the group when I was 13. And it was one of the first live writers round, writer rounds in Nashville that let me be a part of it at such a young age. So I'm super thankful to them. Yeah, I want the audience to understand that it's not a band. Right. Because when you say playing with the group, it's not a four-piece band that goes on stage and plays all over. I would imagine that there's a strong co-writing element to the song suffragettes yeah a lot of the girls it's a great way to meet like other female artists and songwriters um in nashville and a lot of the girls do collaborate i've written with tons of song suffragettes and it's honestly one of the best the biggest ways that i broke into the music industry at such a young age and yeah it's not a band it's every week they have uh five female singer songwriters each play their own original songs in what we call like a writer, a writer songwriting round. And that's like a Nashville thing where each, you know, you sit, you sit in a row and um, on stage and each songwriter plays a few original songs and you kind of go around in a circle. Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to go to the listening room a couple of times when I've been in Nashville. Yeah. And it sounds like you're saying that that's maybe sort of their home base. And, and obviously you've gotten to perform there multiple times, I'm assuming. Yes many times. I love the listening room. It's one of the best venues for sure in Nashville. So just to be clear, there are other venues that the Song Suffragettes will perform at though and not just the listening room? No, the the Song Suffragettes, um, they perform solely at the listening room in ah. Nashville. Um, but they do, recently they've been kind of working on expanding. So they, I think they are doing like a UK tour where they're taking some of the Song Suffragettes to Europe and um, to the United Kingdom. So, yeah, they're kind of expanding. But in Nashville, they do, their home base is the listening room. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for setting the record straight. Yeah. You talked about your family, but who have been some songwriting mentors for you? Yeah. So I've had, I've been lucky enough to have, you know, some really cool songwriting mentors in Nashville. One of the, the biggest champions of my music has been Bart Herberson, who um, runs NSAI, which is the Nashville Songwriters Association in Nashville. And he heard my music when I was younger, and he helped connect me to a lot of the co-writers that I've worked with and to a lot of the, the shows that I've played also in Nashville. And then also Bobby Reimer, who owns Writer's Den Music, which is a publishing company in Nashville. He's He is one of the first um, kind of big wigs in the industry to actually listen to my to my music and to my um, solo rights and critique a lot of my songs as I was growing up. He was super helpful as well. And by the way, audience, just a little bit of housekeeping. I should have mentioned it, but on the show page for Aaliyah's episode on nhte.net, I will put a link to episode 432 so that you can go back and listen to my interview with her mom, with Jamie O'Neill. Let's stick, Leah, however, with the subject of songwriting that you were just talking about, some of the mentors that you've had. At what point along the road did somebody teach you, maybe it was your mom or maybe it was later on with the folks that you just mentioned, the whole idea of 
not writing songs that someone your age couldn't possibly relate to. And I'm sure that that's probably still something that you maintain an awareness of. Yeah. um, I think, yeah, my mom was definitely one of the first people to help with songwriting. And I I think I started writing songs at a really young age. I want to say I was like nine or 10. It was like Mm. right around the time that I started playing guitar. Um, and I kind of just wrote down my feelings and like, it came, it honestly came very naturally to me. Songwriting has always been like a very natural thing. And my mom was definitely one of the first people that critiqued my, my lyrics and helped me kind of fine tune like what I was doing. Mm. So she was definitely had a big hand in my songwriting. My grandpa also, interestingly enough, her dad is also a, a musician and he also has helped critique my songs growing up and is one of the, the people that I trust most with you know, his opinion, his opinions on my music. But I wonder, though, when it comes from your mom, when it comes from your grandfather, is it a case of mom (laughs) or do you say, no, she's being a accomplished songwriter right now who's criticizing me from a place of experience and she's not being a nagging mom that's saying, clean up your room. She generally wants to help me with my songwriting. How easy or difficult is that or was that or both? I think it's a fair share of both. I think I've had my my times of being like, mom, no, but I also trust, you know, her vision and also just how much of a genius songwriter she is that I know that she's coming from like a very established and experienced place. So I trust a lot of what she says when it comes to editing my lyrics and things like that. It's, It's not been a very, you know, there's not been a lot of conflict there. I normally take what she says and I, and I fix what she says and I listen to her because I really do trust trust her say and everything. Okay. Musical for sure. But what about when it's your grandfather? Because I think we all would say that we all have a very different relationship with our parents <laughs> than we do with our grandparents. Yeah. Our grandparents can do no wrong in our eyes and we're happy to argue back with our parents. Yeah. So when it's your grandfather, is it he's right, he's my grandfather or is there maybe still a little give and take with him also? There's definitely some give and take with him also. I'm very close with my grandfather, so I've, you know, we have a great relationship. And so we do go back and forth sometimes, but I also really trust what he has to say. So it's kind of the same with both of them, honestly. Okay, okay. And then speaking of songwriting, I mentioned in the intro that you've already had some cuts with other artists. Yeah, so I've written, my friend Lily Kincaid is one of my, top collaborators when it comes to music she's written a lot of she's co-written a lot of my songs um and i've co-written a lot of her songs but two of the songs we've written together have come out on her previous projects and then they're called missing you and the other one is called f you it's my birthday which is kind of like a fun one we Mm -hmm. did um that she put out on her actual birthday a couple years ago Mm. or maybe it was even last year i think it was one or two years ago but um that song was featured on some editorial spotify playlists so that was like one of the first songs that she ever had um where spotify actually took notice to it and put it on playlist so that was a big deal for us and then i've also had some cuts with l rose who's a country artist in nashville and brendan mcgowan who's a canadian pop artist as well and were those cases of where you knew that you were writing for that artist and that you were not going to try to cut the song yourself in in both cases both artists 
Um, with Elle Rose and, and Brendan, yeah, we were we were kind of going into it writing for their projects just because they were both kind of ready to put out music. And at that point, I really wasn't putting out my I wasn't putting out my own music yet, and I wasn't really thinking about putting out my own projects yet. Uh, okay. Um, I think I was literally fourteen when I wrote the, uh, those songs. Maybe mm. sixteen with Elle Rose, and then fourteen with Brendan. But um, with wow. Lily, we kind of went into those sessions not knowing uh, who the songs were going to be for yet, and then she ultimately decided to release two of the songs we wrote because we've written so many songs together that we never go into those sessions like planning which projects they're for really well but i think my mind goes to a place of you think you're writing for her and then secretly you're thinking to yourself this song is really good i'd really like to cut this myself yeah that that definitely happens sometimes i would say with sessions I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Miami by singer, songwriter, guitar player Aaliyah Good. Visit her official website at aaliyahgood.com. I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Once you land on her website, you will see links for all kinds of social media, Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. Her brand new single, Human Background Noise, is less than two weeks old. Find it wherever you get music, all the online digital platforms. Stick around because I'm going to have Aaliyah tell us about where you will be able to go see her perform this summer. Meanwhile, who is listening to this in Las Vegas and wants to meet while I'm there? I'm flying there this Saturday, March 4th, and I don't leave until March 11th. There's already one person I'm going to meet with because she called me on the OWL app that you've been hearing me talk about over the last several episodes. This is not a sponsor, and the app is free to download. It's all about making connections with people. I don't know if I should be saying the person's name or not, but they called me on the OWL app, and as we started getting to know each other and what we both do, it was revealed that this person needs a publicist. So voila, there you go, a perfect fit. Now, just like that, I will be meeting for lunch and just might get a new client as a result. Here's how you can connect with me and lots and lots of others who are on there. On my podcast website, nhte.net, tap or click anywhere that says home. Or, by the way, you can instead just head directly to nowhearthis.net, and that, of course, is H-E-A-R. Either way, you want to dive into the article titled, Help Now a Phone um, App Call Away. And in that, you will find not only links to get OWL from the App Store or Google Play, but the invitation code in there that you will need because it's a required field as you're setting it up on your phone. Get on there, give me a call, and let's chat. Aaliyah, as I started into all that, I repeated that you're calling in today from Miami. Share with the audience what it is that has you in Southeast Florida, as well as juggling everything that's on your plate that way. So I'm studying music business at the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami. And so I am a college student and also an artist full time. So I am juggling all of that. It's been it's been great so far. I just I'm a first year student. So um, I just moved to Miami back in August and I kind of go back and forth between Miami and Nashville now. And it's been really amazing kind of getting to to be both places all the time. I know you said that you're trying to major in music business, but at the same time, I'm imagining that there are people that you're meeting who are finding out that you're an artist and they're in their dorm right now doing their homework or they're in their dorm surfing TikTok and here you are in your dorm being interviewed on a podcast. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think the cool thing about Frost here at, at Miami is there's so many artists here, a lot of small artists, um, and definitely some artists that are, are doing really well right now on TikTok and things like that. So it's been kind of a great way to network with other artists and collaborate. And there's a lot of really cool opportunities here as well. So I've gotten to kind of showcase being an artist. There's actually a, a record label here on campus, mm. and I'm one of the artists um, signed this year. So it's called Kane Records. And so they've kind of been helping me with some career stuff as well. So, yeah, it's been like a great experience all around. Well, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank I didn't you. know that. And just because they're on campus, I have to imagine that they still, just like any other record label, they, they don't take just anybody. So that's already a feather in your cap. Like you said, it's just your first year there and already you got that much from it. Yeah, it, yes. I'm very lucky. I think I think they do... Um, they take, yeah, it's like application or auditions and like applications from all U Miami students, but they definitely do have to pick through a lot of people. And so I am very lucky that I got picked for this year. So I'm very grateful to them for that. So I was going to say the school, but I guess the degree program that you're in, are there any performance opportunities offered where you do get to play at U Miami? Yes, I've done, um, I've done a showcase for Kane Records, which is the label here. And then I've done Coffee House, um, which is like another performance opportunity um, where they've had, you know, they have they have a lot of show opportunities actually for artists because the school is, there's actually a program for, um, for artist development. And a lot of people ask me like, well, I'm not in that program as an artist, but um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. There's, there's a lot of performance opportunities and I'm also minoring in songwriting. So I do get to like work on my craft as well as study music business and kind of learn like the ins and outs of the industry that I haven't, you know, learned yet. So it's great. Mm, it does. Yeah, it sounds great. And I'm laughing because I'm thinking artist development. No, I'm not in that because my artist development was my childhood. <laughs> that's you. Yeah, that's you answering. That's very people. true. <laughs> that is my answer. Normally I'm like kind of already been there, but Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned back in the intro that you performed at the likes of the Hotel Cafe out in Los Angeles, as well as the Bitter End up in New York, two really fabled music venues. Yes. At what point in time were those? And take us through those experiences, meaning how nervous were you? What lessons might you have learned? Were these solo shows or maybe you had an accompanist or a band? Just take us through all that. So the Hotel Cafe was definitely a very nerve-wracking show for me that was my first headlining show outside of Nashville and also at the Hotel Cafe in, in LA my first LA show my first show at the Hotel Cafe which is a very you know legendary venue in LA so I was very very nervous it was definitely one of the coolest experiences I've had playing live music and it was it was a solo show um, but I did have an accompanist um, Eric Potapenko he actually I think he's touring right now as a, as a guitar player but um he did accompany me at that show. And then at the bitter end, it was just me. It was a solo show as well. And that one was also really nerve wracking because I, I, you know, I've heard so many legendary stories about the bitter end. I think Lady Gaga, that was one of like the first venues that she played at. So both experiences were, you know, very, very scary, but also just the coolest experiences. And I think, I think, um, the bitter end was right before COVID actually happened mm. um, in 2020. And then the, the hotel cafe was in 2019 on one of my many riding trips out to LA. Mm. So was it a case of the lessons learned were just what you described and getting over the nerves and playing in a notable venue? Or is there something that you sticks out as 
this was a real takeaway from one or the other venues? Both were definitely, um, yeah, I think I really learned kind of how to put the nerves aside and just focus on giving the audience a good show. I think the the bitter end was definitely, I had, I had some family friends there and I had my mom there, but I didn't have an audience of people that I knew. It was a lot of like random new faces. So it mm. was definitely one of the first experiences where I, as a solo artist, kind of got to play my music for new people. And it was really great getting to meet people after and like hearing the way that they connected with a lot of my songs. But then with Hotel Cafe, I had, I have a whole kind of family out in LA and, you know, I had a lot of my friends there. So it was really awesome to just get to play for people that already knew me. And, you know, but I kind of learned different things at both because on the one hand, I, I had that show where I was playing for family and friends and I had the, the great reaction from them. And then on the other hand, I got to connect with new people and hear their reactions to my songs. And that was a really special experience out in New York. So yeah, I kind of learned different things at both, but definitely how to put the nerves aside and, and just focus on, you know, doing what I came there to do, which is give the audience a good show. So. Now, because even in the case of the Hotel Cafe, it's one thing to have family and friends in the audience, but it's still a daunting thing when you step on stage knowing you're at the Hotel Cafe and it's a venue you've never performed at before. So right. there's yeah. kind of that balance of, well, I'm glad that I've got some people, some familiar faces in the audience because otherwise... You know, this is a big moment for me. Speaking of places that you've performed, wow, you're not even 20 years old yet, and already you can say that you've performed in Europe. Yeah. Share with the audience what the event was and about that whole experience. Yeah, so um, I got to perform at Nashville Nights um, out in Odense, Denmark. And um, that was one of those situations where my mom, you know, brought me with her and it kind of turned into me getting to do my own artist thing. I was kind of going out there just to, I was literally, my plan was just to sing background for my mom. Oh. I literally hadn't planned to actually participate in the festival at all. But then, you know, I, and they ended up asking me to sing a couple songs. So I got up and I got to play for a ton of new people, meet tons of, you know, Danish, Danish people, but also like there were a lot of national people there as well that I didn't know already. So that was really awesome. And then I got to collaborate as part of the festival with, some Danish songwriters. And so that was an, another really cool experience. So yeah, that was a very like kind of spur the moment decision to participate in the festival, but definitely one of the coolest like performing opportunities I've had. And folks, I will also put a link on the show page for Aliyah's episode on nhte.net to episode 434 when my guest was Blue Foley. He is the founder of the Nashville Nights Festival that you just heard Aliyah talking about. So definitely go back and listen to my conversation with Blue to hear and at great length details all about Nashville Nights, which still continues on, by the way. Aaliyah, since I teased this when I was giving out your website and your socials, while we're talking about performing, tell the audience about all the performing that you will be doing this coming summer. Yep, so I'm working on some tour dates. Um, that I can't really talk about in too much detail yet, just because we haven't completely uh, determined all of the tour dates yet, but I will be going on um, a couple different tour dates in some various places around the U.S., and then I definitely will be playing tons of shows in Nashville. Um, I regularly play at Old Red, which is one of the best cities um, that I love to play at, so I'll be there for a lot of a lot of different uh, days and night shows um, throughout the summer. And then I'm working on some shows out in L.A. as well um, to hopefully take place maybe some in a couple in March, but then also definitely in the summer as well. 
And there's more to be announced soon, but I'll be playing in various cities uh, throughout the U.S. and then also opening for my mom on some of her scheduled dates as well. Well, and folks, as much as I'm going to encourage all of you to keep up with Aaliyah online so you can find out when and where she's going to be, I'm definitely going to keep an eye out. I was just at Old Red in Nashville in November, so if I'm going back there anytime soon, I'm definitely going to be looking to see if Aaliyah's playing there. And if you've been following this show long enough, you know that I not only get back and forth to Nashville with some degree of regularity, but even out west as well. So, in fact, San Francisco in February and then San Diego in March and Anaheim in April. So between all my travels to California, I'm going to hope that I can catch Aaliyah performing somewhere. In May, Aaliyah, you have an EP coming out. What details are you able to share at this point as it relates to, say, maybe the number of songs that will be on it? What stage is it at right now? Who's producing it? Where are you recording it? Any of that? So it's set to come out um, on, during the first half of May. I don't want to give like a you know certain release date yet, but definitely the first half of May. And it's co-produced um, by myself and then also my dad and my mom both have co-produced several of the songs on the EP. And then uh, another song produced by John Townsend, who um, I that's you know he just produced my most recent song. And we tracked a lot of this, the EP at Soundstage in Nashville. So we had a great experience, you know, working on the music there. Um, but also some other studios throughout Nashville. And the song, the EP is set to have eight songs on it. So I'm very excited for that to be out in the world. So is it finished or is it still being mixed or mastered? Or what stage is it at right now? So several of the songs are completely finished. So I'm super excited about those. And then we're also, we're in the final stages of the other ones. It's about half and half. Well, I'm here to say that eight songs is a very generous EP. Normally when I hear EP, I'm thinking four. So that's a great effort on your part. Is there a title for it yet? Or will it just be one of the songs? That's the the EP Um, title. It hasn't, it hasn't been titled yet. So stay tuned for that announcement. It'll be coming out soon. Okay, and I imagine that you absolutely will be 100% involved in whatever the artwork will be, yes? Definitely, yes. I'm super involved in all the artwork that um, goes with my music. So since you play guitar, are you also playing guitar on the EP, or is it, Bruce, we got way more better guitar players than me in Nashville. I'm letting other people do that. Oh, we definitely have better guitar players than me <laughs> in Nashville. Yeah, I'm letting that. I'm letting the professionals take that take that job. I'm more of a I'm more of a songwriting guitar player, which means I know enough to 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 write songs. But yeah. definitely on the EP, we have some more professional people <laughs> doing that doing that side of it. Gotcha, gotcha. So we talked a few minutes ago about all these live performances. So. I got to believe that there are, however, solo shows that you do where it is just you and the guitar. Is it? Yes. What what does it look like in terms of some shows where, what is your preference? Is it, I'd like to have a trio, I'd like to have a four-piece band? What's your vision? Because we hear a lot of live performances that you're going to be doing this year. Yeah, so a lot of the the shows I'll be doing um, coming up are going to be just me and my guitar. I love a full band show. I love to get to play with a band, but I don't always get that chance, especially at a lot of my shows in Nashville. They just, you know, it's more of an acoustic vibe. So a lot of my shows coming up will just be me and my guitar, which, you know, I always always love doing that as well, just because it's it's like the most natural and and raw way of of hearing the songs, just because that's how they were written. So it's awesome to get to play them that way. 
But um, yeah, I haven't. I don't know for sure about any full band shows yet. But hopefully, I'll have some of those as well in the summer. If there are full band shows, do you already have quote unquote your own band, or it would have to be assembled when it becomes a necessity? It would probably have to be assembled, yeah, when it becomes a necessity. I have, you know, various players in Nashville that I've worked with before, but, you know, you never know who's going to be available. People are always taking gigs and, and going on tour, so it'll probably have to be assembled at the time of once we get that announcement, you know? Okay, okay. We're going to close today with Aaliyah's brand-new single called Human Background Noise, which just came out less than two weeks ago on February 17th, to be exact. Aaliyah, before I let you go and I play that track, share with the audience all about this song, if you would, please. So this song is uh, obviously my second single, and I co-wrote this one with Lydia Dahl and John Townsend, who are two of my favorite songwriters in Nashville. I've written tons of songs with them, and they actually co-wrote another song that's going to be on my EP. And um, it's produced by John Townsend, who's you know one of the co-writers on the song. And we had a lot of fun with this one. I kind of initially went in with the idea of, you know, writing about a relationship that's so in the background of your life that it's that it's like the background noise of mm. your life. And we were kind of talking about how we all like work better when there's background noise. I think that's initially how the conversation of the title got started was we were talking about how, you know, we always have TV in the background or whatever. And it kind of went along with the theme of the session, which was a, a relationship that's that you know isn't right for you, but you're kind of staying in it because you feel like you'd rather be with somebody than with, you know, by yourself. Mm. And I think that's a really universal feeling, especially for young girls at this age. Like, you, you don't want to be alone, so you feel like you, you have to settle for someone that you know you're not right with. And that's the that's really the, the place that this song came from, and that's how, you know, the title came about. And that's really what Human Background Noise is about. But it's it's one of my favorite songs on the project, and it's definitely a fun one super upbeat and, and fun to dance to. So I love this song. But as much as I agreed with you when you said so many people can relate to it, when you first started your answer and you introduced what the song is about, I thought this is a, a very mature hook for someone who's only 19. And I wonder yeah. if you actually get that compliment a lot or if it's, gee, thanks, Bruce. I didn't really think it was that big a deal. I haven't heard that about this song particularly. I definitely hear the the age thing. A lot of people think, especially when they hear me live, that I'm older than I am. But with this song, you know, in particular, I've never I've never heard that. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And I wasn't fishing for a thank you. I just wondered <laughs> because as soon as you started your answer, I thought, wow, that's a really mature hook for someone that's quote unquote only 19. As much as it might sound like a relatable topic, so I do take my hat off to you because. Yes, there is some low-hanging fruit at your age. There's some things that are easy to write about. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, to really have a deeper view of it and then to execute it is obviously very different. Right. And I think that's, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier with the songwriting mentors, like that's some of the best advice I've gotten is, is when you're writing a song, being able to, to explain in a deep way like what it's actually about. It's it, One of the best things that Bobby Reimer ever taught me was if you can't, you know, come from an emo like a deeply emotional place when you're talking about a song. Um, then it's you know probably not a song that you wanna that you wanna put out in the world, and it, or it's probably something that you need to keep editing and keep like digging for a deeper meaning. So that's kind of some of the best advice I've gotten, mm. and that's kind of with with a lot of my songs on this debut EP. Like, I really wanted to make sure that they come from a real place and they come from 
a you know a deeper place and they have a deeper meaning that is a relatable but isn't surface level at all yeah yeah will there be a music video for human background noise for human background noise, we don't have one in the works yet. Um, there will be another music video for um, a song that's coming out on the EP, and will be another single. But for this, for human background noise, we don't have anything in the works yet. But that would be a fun one to do a video for. So we'll see. Is it safe to assume that both human background noise and ending of a first love will be on the EP that's coming out in May? Yes, they will both be on the EP for sure. But is that going to be it in terms of? You're just going to release those two singles, or will you release one more before the EP comes out in May? There will actually be two more singles. Wow. Um, one in March and then one in April before the EP in May. Yeah. Wow. So we'll have two more singles before the final project. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, you're really going to be teasing yeah. people and laying a lot of breadcrumbs on, yeah. on the lead up to May. Definitely. Definitely, yeah. I want people to have, you know, you know, it's like half and half. Half they will have already heard and then half will be new. So that's kind of what I wanted with the project. Yeah, I like that strategy. Aaliyah, congratulations. You've done so much already and you're only 19 years old. My gosh, I know there's going to be <laughs> lots and lots more that we're going to still see from you and hear from you. So yes. congratulations and continued best wishes and thanks for making time to be on Now Hear This you. Entertainment. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed talking to you. My pleasure. My pleasure. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, guitar player, Aaliyah Good. Do visit her official website at aaliyahgood.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Once you land on Aaliyah's website, be sure to look for the various logos so that you can engage with her on social media. As I mentioned before, she is on Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. This morning, I followed her on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm sure she would appreciate you doing the same. And since I'm not on Snapchat or TikTok, pick up the slack for me. (laughs) Follow her on those as well. Early in this interview, you heard her talk about the music video for Ending of a First Love. Go check that out on her official YouTube channel, and be sure to hit the subscribe button while you're there. For that matter, tell Aaliyah somewhere on social media that you heard her and her music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Keep up with her online to get information on where you can go see her perform live. Do be sure to get her music from the likes of Spotify, iTunes, and other online digital music platforms. Mark your calendars for May also so that you can get the new EP that you heard her talking about today. If you like Now Hear This Entertainment, this episode, others before it, every episode, feel free to let me know as much by way of a here you go, thanks for what you do, Bruce, by going to my podcast website, nhte.net, and then utilizing the yellow logo there that says buy me a coffee. It's not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with a chain or a brand. It's simply a way for you to send me a virtual toast, you know, two coffee mugs bumping together. Anyhow, check that out, put a note on there with it, and know that I am grateful for your support of this podcast. That's going to do it for episode 472. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Aaliyah Good. This is the one she just talked about. It's called Human Background Noise. There's fractions of my heart kind of wishing this was over You're lying in the dark and I'm wishing you were sober Thinking of the months you spent right on my shoulder Now I'm starting to think this is all going nowhere Cause you've been home all summer, haven't reached out in a minute
Until there's something